you know, the U.S. Constitution, which has been around 250 years, uh, has about 7,000 words in it. The Ohio Constitution, which is about 170 years old, uh, has about almost 70,000 words in it uh, because it's been so easily uh, manipulated and amended. And um, yeah, it's just an issue that um, touches so much more than just abortion. But right now, that's the fire that's raging. Welcome back to another episode of The Narrative. Mike Andrews, David Mahan, and some random stranger <laughs> off the street joining us with a spectacular tan, by the way, Aaron Bear. Well, thank Good I, to have I, you back I here. I listened to the beginning of the last podcast, and you guys are just mean. Like, there's, mean. there's like, talking about. There's oh, Mike making, did a great job as interim president. jokes, <laughs> First and, of but all. then there's just, like, the hurting feelings, and <laughs> I just didn't <laughs> Anyway, is it, is it just because David can rhyme so much better when yeah, you're not here? Apparently, just fire uh, it was amazing. No, it was uh, great. Sure. We've gotten well, more, more positive than, feedback than ever. ever. <laughs> more just because you got Alexandra. I was more upset that uh, that you got Alexandra on an episode that I wasn't on. Like I didn't realize that you were going to land her for that one. But yeah, and that would choose the right one for for that conversation. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, throwing my weight around here after <laughs> just a few short months and pulling strings to make that happen. Hey, before we dive into the news this week, just want to ask everybody to send us your questions and your thoughts for our upcoming Ask Us Anything episode. You can reach out to us at thenarrative at ccv.org. We'd love to field those questions for you. We've already seen a few come in, but please, by all means, if there's anything on your mind, current events, legislation we've talked about throughout this season, please let us know. We'd be happy to, to answer those questions in just a couple of weeks. We've got that episode planned. And also want to encourage you, if you want an easy way to help bolster the podcast, Wherever you listen to us, go leave us a review. Give us five stars. Hopefully, maybe not for the Aaron Bear episodes. Those might be a little bit lower. <laughs> yeah, the one without me, you mean. That's right. That really hurting our ratings. The, but by the, all uh, means, that that is something with the way the algorithms work. It really helps us out if you could do that. So take a minute. Leave us a review. As we look at the news over the past week, gentlemen, boy, big day at the Supreme Court or big week at the Supreme Court last yeah. week. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on three pretty big decisions. And uh, one of the main ones we kept our eye on was the 303 creative decision. And Aaron, I know you were in DC the day that they had the oral arguments. You got to speak out in front of the Supreme Court on that. So for our listeners, just give us a refresher on what the 303 creative case was. Yeah. I mean, that was a a really significant case. And it's it's really the, the 303 creative case in itself is sort of representative of sort of a long string of uh, cases, litigation since the Obergefell case in 2015, which created same-sex marriage in all 50 states. Uh, you know, the, the the question immediately came up from that was was how is this decision, you know, creating this this brand new institution in all states by law? How is this going to interact with religious freedom? Um, and the the court for one reason or another had sort of sidestepped the issue for a number of years and, and allowed for some people like Baronel Stutzman and Jack Phillips um, to, to have their businesses and their lives sort of dragged through the mud. Um, and so many other businesses that we will never know about get intimidated into either closing up shop or, or being pressured to do something that violates their religious freedom. Um, so this was one that our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom brought another situation out of Colorado um, where a website designer, Lori Smith, uh, wanted to ask the court, hey, th- the way I read this law and the way they're interpreting this law, this sexual orientation, gender identity, non-discrimination law passed in Colorado, uh, it would force me to uh, build a custom website uh, for a same-sex wedding. And that would violate my sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, the sincerely held religious belief being the, the term a lot of these folks used. Again, 
the degree of which you sincerely hold the belief is almost irrelevant, right? Uh, it, it would violate your religious freedom as the baseline here. Uh, and and so ADF brought this case, uh, again, best in the business at Alliance Defending Freedom on, on taking these cases, and they've taken the arrows for it through the years um, and brought this case forward. Uh, and oral arguments went really well, uh, and you really heard the left and the liberal justices kind of go unhinged in these cases. Um, and ultimately, we got the big win we wanted to, which was to say, yeah, listen, the government cannot force you uh, to engage in speech that violates your religious beliefs, no matter what that speech is about, right? Um, and again, this is where that that baseline principle, I think everybody would agree with. Like, the, of course, the government can't make a Muslim say Jesus is Lord, right? Or they can't make uh, a gay person say uh, homosexuality is a sin, right? Um, just like they can't make a Christian be a part of a, you know, say same-sex marriage is great, yeah. right? And celebrate the wedding. That, that's that's the baseline principle that's w- was affirmed here. It's a shame that it took eight years of of hardship to get there, but we got there. We got to the right decision, um, and you know we could talk more about this. But uh, you know everything that you're seeing in the media about this is really just distortions of what this case was really about. I think that that to to the average person listening may never even hear about some of these cases, but just know that whenever you hear in the media that there's all of these all this litigation happening seems negative all what it all seems negative but it's all necessary right for us to get the kind of relief and when i say us just as a community um you know churches to get the relief that we need you have to have these cases right first at the state level and then at the federal level and thankfully it got all the way up to that level but it does provide a certain level of relief and i think the more you know the podcasts like ours and others you know can get the word out as to that this is a positive thing for us for the state um, and again kudos to um, alliance defending freedom what is this their 15th mm-hmm. uh, supreme court win um we may not even know who they are but they are what is that the largest um, law firm, Christian law firm in in, in the world, I think. And yep. so yeah. that's that's a group you need to keep in prayer, if not support, because they are fighting for us every day, just like we do at the state level. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's we're we're associated with ADF, and we we work very closely with with their, them, and it's because they're the best at this type of work. That's right. Um, and uh, their their track record speaks for itself. Going back to Obergefell, there were all these unanswered questions around that. Like it kind of ruled on this one narrow thing, but then created all of these splintery divisions and things that needed to be settled by the courts to really understand how how we all can live in this basically new world, new definition of marriage that was created by the Supreme Court. And so this is just those those different processes of kind of pruning those loose ends and and figuring out where religious freedom fits in with all of that. Right. Yeah. And and it it really does show. It shows the the weakness of making policy like this through the courts, right? That was the that's the biggest frustration with, you know, why set aside what Obergefell did as being sort of evil policy of, you know, giving tax incentives for people to do something that is um, driving them away from their Lord and Savior. Um, it, it, that that in itself is an evil policy, and we shouldn't hide away from that. But the courts weren't designed to create this type of policy, and so when when you have something like that happen, or like the like Roe, when the the Supreme Court is stepping in and creating policy, they're going to naturally leave a bunch of questions unanswered, right? And and that's that's what we ended up in this in this situation. To clean up. It takes, and we're, we're by all means we're we're still not done with with this, right? Um, but this was a very important question. 
Um, and I think, Mike, though, the, the bigger thing to me through all of this is that, and and if you haven't read uh, Judge Gorsuch's um, uh, opinion, the, 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 uh, his decision in this case, that he really did a phenomenal job of highlighting both, not just what the liberal justices on the court were doing, um, but also what really the media is doing is that the media and, and the liberal justices were arguing about a case that didn't exist, right? They, they were they were trying to make this a case that Lori wanted to just not serve gay people, right? Um, and, and again, there's, there's a question like sexual orientation is not a, a protected class in most of the country, but in this, in uh, Colorado it is, but that was not what Lori was doing. Lori served just like Jack Phillips, just like Baron L. Stutzman served gay people, but there were certain messages she wouldn't consider, right? right? And that's a very different argument than just saying we're not going to serve a class of people. But what the media has made this case into is, oh, the Supreme Court just protected the right to discriminate. That's not what they did. uh, And that's not what this case was about. And there's also the element, too, of it's painted as, well, this is the only person possible who could render this service to this person. And and in Jack Phillips's case, you're talking right. about a, a baker in Denver, Colorado, where probably you could throw a stone and hit six bakeries that would gladly serve and provide those messages to a customer. Right. And, and, and the Jack Phillips case was such a perfect example of this as well, because you had in that case, ultimately, the, one of the things that carried the day in that case a few years ago. Um, and again, he went on different grounds and they didn't actually get to this issue. That's why this is a big deal because we actually got to this issue. But one of the things that really jumped out in, in that situation was you had a, a Christian go to a gay baker and ask them to make a cake that said uh, homosexuality is a sin or something like that. And they, you know, they declined to make the cake. And that guy sued, and the courts, the courts of Colorado said, "Well, no, you can't do that. Like he, or they can do that. They can say that you can't force them to make that cake. That's a free speech issue." But the other side of the coin wasn't, um, and so you could see this double standard that was getting established. Uh, and and the court again in this situation, and this is again, elections have consequences. You know, God bless President Trump for for appointing these three judges and the the way the Lord moved to put us in a position to get these. Um, justices in, uh, this wouldn't have happened without that. You know, five years ago, it looked like this would never happen. Uh, and the fact that we're here is just an incredible sign of grace from the Lord. And, and we could talk more about 303, um, I'm sure, but there are also a couple other Supreme Court cases, one dealing with uh, affirmative action policies and college admissions, and also uh, with Biden's student loan forgiveness plan that the Supreme Court also weighed in on. And Maybe a bit of surprising ways, but uh, very much in line with what we've seen a, this court take with uh, being a little more conservative in its interpretation of these things. Yeah, and, and I'll just say on these two cases in particular, both CCV and just me personally, I haven't been as involved in these cases. Sure. But And I would actually commend everyone. The National Review um, uh, did a, a great podcast kind of breaking down these cases. Um, but I think the biggest thing, when you look at 303, when you look at the affirmative action case, and you look at the student loan case, um, these are three generational cases where um, you know the court preserved the American promise for another generation. And I know that sounds a little bit dramatic, but that's what happened in these because these were these were all questions of what does the government have the power to do. Um, and these are these are cases where, you know, this is truly what American exceptionalism is about: is that 
you had the court say, no, government, you don't have the authority to do this, even if you think the means are right. I, I think the Biden student loan forgiveness one is a great example of this, right? Because let's let's say, for example, that we actually did agree that the student loan debt crisis was a was so severe and it had to be resolved, right? Like that we, we absolutely had to have that. And again, I, I would disagree with that. There's so many things that show actually this is just transferring wealth from, th- this is a poor tax, right? It's really giving money to, to wealthier folks who made bad financial decisions. Um, but let's, let's say the premise of it was true. You know, Article One of the Constitution very clearly has a separation of powers in there that says, no, Congress, only Congress can make appropriations. The, the president, no matter what the issue is, the president cannot unilaterally just spend billions of dollars like this without Congress's authority. And the idea that the, the court stepped in and, and affirmed that principle— and said, because everybody knew this. I mean, even Nancy Pelosi a few years ago said the president doesn't have the authority to do this. Um, but then all of a sudden, Joe Biden decided he did. The, the the fact that the court affirmed this separation of powers and said, no, listen, we, we are, even if it's painful, even if sometimes it might result in us not addressing things as quickly as we want to, we're a better nation that one person can't just go spend all this money and and do things and and the same thing with affirmative the affirmative action case which is to say we are not a nation that looks at someone and benefits or punishes them because of their skin color or because of their background or their ethnicity right um and and that's that is a fundamental aspect of what made has made america uh, such a unique nation throughout world history um, just like 303 of saying we're not going, the government can't force you to say something you don't agree with. Those are things that have, have made us a prosperous nation, has made us the freest. The reason why you have so many people all over the world that are so desperate to get here is most other countries don't have those those protections. And this is, you know, to, to take the, the Ronald Reagan quote, this is our court, this generation securing freedom for the next generation. Yeah, on this one, I'm definitely thankful for the decision of the Supreme Court. I just think folks are really getting tired of political theater. I remember when um, Biden first did that, right? I mean, everybody knew, well, a lot of folks that were talking about it in, in my circle knew that this is just political theater. We This has to be overturned. You just can't do that. Um, the sad part is a lot of folks don't understand that it's just political theater. So the media gets in and they kind of spin it to where, wow, you know, Biden is trying to help, you know, kids. And then, you know, knowing that he can't do that legally, it gets overturned. Okay, now the Supreme Court is is hurting kids, right? And opposing what Biden did to help kids. Um, It's kind of sad that this is the narrative that you're hearing just from the general population. um, When really the issue is what you're saying, what can we do and what can we not do based on the separation of powers established. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I'm glad it was overturned. Everybody knew it would be overturned, but I'm really sick of the political theater. Right. And if, again, the fact that if you flash back, he did this in right in the middle of election right. season. Like it, it right. was, it was so blatant. That's, that's what's what was, yeah. what was happening. Um, and you know, we, we, it had to get all the way to the Supreme court to get it, to, to get it resolved. Time and but, money. Um, but it was the right decision and, and it got us the right place. Also getting Ohio to the right place. The state budget was passed and signed uh, just this this week. And we've been talking about that for a while here on the on the program. And 
there's so much in it. We're actually going to do a live stream about it. Unfortunately, by the time this podcast hits, we may have already completed that <laughs> right. that live stream, depending on when you listen. But so, maybe we'll post it as a special episode or something like that. Once yeah, we, and once it, we get it up. And yeah. it'll be on our YouTube channel. If, yeah. you, if you can't tune into that, be sure to check out our YouTube channel and, and kind of get the fuller picture of the budget. But for just a real quick kind of rundown of some big wins in that, Aaron, um, this is going to change generations, uh, education for generations of Ohioans, if nothing else, with the with the big Ed Choice expansion. No, that's right. And, and this is, you know, we have been talking for for three years now almost about the backpack bill, right? And, you know, when we first started talking about the backpack bill and, and driving this, nobody was talking about making every kid eligible for, for a school choice program, for, for a voucher or an ESA, an empowerment scholarship account, which is what backpack does. Um, you know, Backpack would make every kid eligible for an ESA so they could either homeschool or use it for private school tuition or however, you know, anything they want there. What this did was a massive step towards getting us there in terms of making every kid eligible for ed choice, yeah. right, for a va- an existing voucher scholarship so they can attend the school of their choice. And then it it kind of tapers off once they the, the more you make the more it starts tapering off right once you hit 450 percent of the federal poverty level which for a family of four uh is about one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars a year um on annual gross income it starts to taper down to about 10 percent once you hit a certain level uh, of the, the total voucher amount the other thing that we did is that we increased the voucher amount um by almost 10 percent uh so 6100 yeah 6100 for for k to eight and now 8400 for nine to twelve um, which again, this is going to, this is going to deal with what we call the capacity problem, which is we actually don't have enough private schools, enough options for families right now to be able to go into because the financial model is so tough, right? This is stuff we navigate with our school planting model. So increasing that amount is going to create more capacity. Um, making more families eligible is going to, going to create more capacity. The other thing about this that's great is that we didn't touch. Um, what's called traditional ed choice, so the failing school ed choice. So if you live in a failing school, you still are eligible for the full voucher amount no matter how much you make. Um, and so this making every kid eligible is, and we're the eighth state now to do this, to make every kid uh, in our state eligible for uh, for some school choice program. That's huge. That's like 80% of the way there to backpack, right? This was a, a ma- do we wish we would have gone full backpack backpack absolutely um but this is you know six months ago when we were you know when david was crying on this podcast about what happened in the speaker's race um <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if somebody would have told us that we would have got that this is where we would have ended up i i would have said well god just moved a mountain um and he certainly did in this case it's it's good to be able to rejoice like that and and you tease, but that you know there probably were a few few uh, tears shed uh, no, for both at, of at us some actually. Point. But I remember when I, I first exactly. so the audience his no, let the, let the, Mike the, wasn't even around when all this Mike stuff kept started. His Spartan with, his Spartan uh, <laughs> mentality or whatever it is as we uh, stupid yeah. grin of his. Um, <laughs> when, when I first started um, to to hear the conversations around backpack, it was like okay, it was like a culture war thing, like. You know, we've already got a solution. You know, we, you know, nobody wants to go that far. You know, it's just not realistic. And to, to see 
how far we've come from that point. Um, and again, it's the public. I remember, you know, doing backpack parties and, you know, everybody's talking about backpack, no matter where you go, um, even with issue one. I mean, folks want to know, you know, where are we at on backpack? I mean, just it's, it's you know, you've, you've done an amazing job. Comms department, um, you know, Aaron, you know, it's, it's just been it's been a, an awesome victory. Not all the way there, um, but this will provide a lot of relief for people. And we got some some other wins in there, too. We talked about the Social Media Parental Notification Act last week on the program. That was in the final budget and some other things like that that oh, yeah. maybe aren't as labor intensive for us as backpack has been, but still very, very good for Ohioans. Oh, I mean, honestly, and it, things like the Social Media Parental Notification Act is one of these like no brainers in many mm-hmm. ways. Right. Like, yeah, a, a 16 year old can't walk into a Kroger right now and buy a pornographic magazine, right? Why, why can they just go on Twitter though and access worse than what they'd find uh, on, on something like that? This is this is baseline. And honestly, the, there is no excuse anymore. The technology is is to a place uh, that where you know companies can say, yeah, go get parental uh, support to be able to do this. Um, and so having having that uh, in place is massive. Uh, David, do we get? Is it actually is it fourteen million we got for the Ohio Parenting and Pregnancy Program? Is that what the final number is? Yeah, I believe it is fourteen million. Um, and really, that didn't change. You know, the, yeah. that was with the governor, and it just went all the way through House and Senate. That's great. Yeah, and that that's money that goes to that pregnancy centers can apply for uh, to help you know pregnant mothers or newborns or, or moms with newborns. Uh, to to help them through that. So this is again big pro life win for us. The other one that that's huge, and and we'll talk about this more as time goes on. But um, you know the the state budget created these five new free speech centers at the universities, um, and um, this is a trend that's been sweeping the nation. Um, it's it's something that's going to be really good uh, for the state in the uh, in the years to come. Um, but it's and it's going to actually attract people to our state now. Is that we 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 might have some of the only colleges and universities in the state that aren't just completely you know woke factories, right? We'll actually have some some places that provide uh, academic diversity um, and you know not training kids up to be you know the next uh, Marxists. Well, and to give some additional updates on things we've talked a lot about, we've got the August eighth uh, election that's not too far away now. The November ballot issue that's been proposed by Planned Parenthood and ACLU today was signature collection day or signature turn-in day. And that's uh, key for our audience to be aware of what's going on with that. And Aaron, since that's more procedural, I'm going to let you just kind of fill everybody in on what happens when signatures are turned in and then what comes next. Yeah. So so basically today and actually two different efforts submitted signatures today, Uh, the marijuana initiative. Uh, and the abortion initiative both submitted their signatures and both are saying they have enough signatures. Um, the marijuana one is a what's called an initiated statute. So that's not going into our constitution. That would be going into state law. Um, they submitted theirs for legalized recreational marijuana. Um, and the uh, abortion one uh, submitted their signatures for their constitutional amendment. Let's start with the abortion one. Um, you know, they need to submit 400... 413,000 valid signatures. They submitted about 700,000 is what they're saying they submitted. Um, you know, what is going to, basically what's going to happen now is the Secretary of State's going to get all these, process them, send them out to the County Board of Elections for them to look through and verify that these are valid signatures. Um, we, you know, Protect Women Ohio put out a great statement kind of talking about all this. I encourage you to go to protectwomenohio.com. 
uh, to, to look at that. I'll say just pontificating a little bit here. This is a little bit less than I thought um, they were going to submit. And, you know, what we're doing right now, uh, CCV and Protect Women Ohio and our legal teams, is we're, we're going to be pouring over all of these signatures um, to and recruiting volunteers all over the place to help uh, to uh, make sure that these signatures are legitimate, right? They, you know, we know David Hurd has gotten so many of these stories from lawmakers and other folks of uh, the the paid signature gatherers that were brought in uh, from all over the country that they don't give a rip if these are valid signatures, right? They're getting paid twenty bucks an hour plus six to seven bucks a signature. You know, for for them, there it's just dollars a day for food, right? Yeah. Exactly, living on a, a David uh, diet over yeah. here, right? Uh, not the Dan- there, there's the Daniel fast, and then there's the David diet, <laughs> which everything is feast. Yeah, yeah everything's covered in syrup. Um, but uh, man, I'm under two twenty six. But the the we, no, that's the problem is that he covers everything in syrup, <laughs> but he still doesn't put a, like a like an ounce of weight on. That's the he was right? that, that's here that's and like. There. I, I sorry, this is a rabbit trail, but it, I, I used to get so mad when I'd go to breakfast with Tom Minery because I'm over here, you know, trying to eat one banana to not put weight on, and Tom would be ordering like the stack of waffles and all that because he was like, I got to put weight on. Tom, come on, um, but uh, one extra slushy, uh, just really. But, but thank digressing. you. No, I, I think you know we all all need to thank the decline design folks that have been yeah. running around, um, created up. equal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just doing a phenomenal job. Young people just coming out in droves standing out in front of, you know, I mean, these guys have been in front of churches, uh, you know, trying to get signatures, um, you know, people doing videos of, you know, what the language really says and how it's being twisted. Excellent, excellent job. You know, when, when they didn't get, I, I mean, I thought for sure they, they'd get a million signatures. And, and if they only got 700,000, that's because of the work that's been done by, by all you great people out there. That's right. That's right. And as always on the, the program, we like to have a good time. We shared some laughs here, but, you know, our hearts are a little bit heavy today. Yeah. Uh, we we sent out a statement earlier this week. We got got news that our longtime lobbyist and friend Barry Sheets had, had passed away, and just wanted to take a, a minute to acknowledge his life and impact on CCV and what it meant. And, and David, I know that that he meant a lot to you personally, and and you had a really good relationship with Barry. And I've only known him through stories that I've heard you tell, and and from what other people have told me. And wow, yeah. just what a legacy when people talk that highly of somebody yeah, as I've heard. Always Barry. respect. Um, faithfulness. And, you know, he was one guy that was just faithful. I mean, I, when I first started in in this kind of ministry with, with PDHC and going into the schools and kind of get involved in some of the, the community-based issues, Barry was almost at every meeting. I mean, when anybody needed to know what was going on at the state house, funding issues, Barry was that guy. And he, he answered every question. Um, and I thought, man, that, that's that's a guy that, that everybody in the state is leaning on to be able to finally work with him, uh, even for two and a half years. Um, and, and when I say two and a half years, I'm saying as late as uh, two and a half, three weeks ago, Barry was was blowing up my Facebook and texting me on, hey, how's this going? And how's this vote going to go? And have you called so and so? I'm talking about he ran through the tape all the way to the end. Faithfulness. And I thank God for people like him and not just him, but his family, his wife, his children, um, just just pillars of the community um, and, and examples of how the body of Christ needs to engage in this area. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, you know, when I staff probably gets tired of me sharing the old war stories of when I started, you know, seven years ago 
and it was you know me and Rob and his full time staff, and then Barry was our our legislative guy, right? And and he had been carrying the he was a, a contract lobbyist for us and, and had been carrying the weight at the state house for years. And I actually just got a call from um, one lobbyist who'd been down uh, at the state house for you know thirty years, like Barry, uh, and was he was calling just to say you know and this this was a guy who had lobbied for different corporate interests and universities and all that. Uh, and, you know, and I, I even know they, he'd clashed with Barry a few times, but the respect that he held Barry in, right. Um, cause he was a fount of knowledge, right. That was the thing for, for me coming in, Brilliant. uh, I know I, I hiring when, when we brought David on, like one of the, and, and I, I really mean this, like we, we hired David to be our policy director. He'd never lobbied in a day, <laughs> but one of the reasons we could do that was that was we, had, we had, we had Barry and Barry mm-hmm. knew the process and, and was just, again, a fount of wisdom and, mm-hmm. and courage and, and understanding, you know, Barry, did one of the few things that's that's so hard to do, which is, it's it's so easy when working in uh, public policy to to let the cynicism um, sort of overtake you, right? Uh, because you just you get lied to on a daily basis, right? You see people cave at the last minute. You see it, it's one of the most frustrating things about this work. Um, but Barry never gave up hope. He never lost his smile. Uh, he never lost. He, he never quit pushing. Right, even when, you know, you think about things like the heartbeat bill that took nine years to pass, or you think about um, just so many different fights that we had that are, are lost, 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 lost before you get to the win. Um, and and he never gave up pushing. Um, and that was because he had the joy of the Lord in his heart. Um, and people saw that, even opponents saw that and respected it in him. Um, and um, yeah, like, like David said, I, on the one hand, I praise God that, you know, both him and I think about Tom Minery got to see the overturn of Roe, um, you know, with this issue one fight and with the abortion initiative. Are we missing Barry? Are we missing Tom? Right. But um, it, those are those are holes we can't fill. But celebrating that they are getting their um their reward now and and are enjoying glory with with our father amen he um you know i was so encouraged to hear all the senators and state reps that took the time to go all the way down to southern ohio you know gallipolis whatever and uh and just to spend some time with him you know in his living room but uh none of that really got to barry's head you know the fact that he's with the father right now right that's the audience that he lived for Everybody knew it. That's the reason why he worked so diligently. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, I'm, I'm fighting tears, but I'm glad for him that uh, he's sitting where he's sitting and speaking with who he's speaking with right now. Yeah. Well, thank you both for those thoughts on Barry and certainly wish Ellen and the entire family um, the best praying for them throughout this process and so thankful for his life and impact on CCV. Um, Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we want to unpack issue one for everybody. Uh, We've been thinking of the best way to do that, decided just to devote the second half of our program today to answering a lot of questions we're hearing around issue one. Uh, Stick around. You don't want to miss it. Hey, narrative listeners. You know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism. Chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian Chamber of Commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for 
to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. And we're back on the narrative. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baird, David Mahan with you. And we're going to talk about issue one because, believe it or not, there's a lot of confusion and misdirection (laughs) about this very important issue to protect the state's constitution that's out there. And it's there's just so much of it. And we're getting so many questions from our friends and and listeners to the show and and just people we interact with regularly. What is this? What's it going to do for Ohio? Why do we need it? The only way that we can do it is to actually have that conversation here on the air. And we hope that this is something then that people can turn around and easily share with friends, church members, things like that, that, that make this a good resource over the next few weeks as we head into that election. Yeah. You know, and honestly, this is, uh, this is something that has been kind of an idea that's been percolating around uh, the state house, around Ohio politics for a long time, uh, because you know even setting aside the November ballot issue, um, you know th- this is an issue that this has been a vulnerability, a problem with our state constitution for years and years and years, and it's led to so many different issues and so many different problems uh, that you know we've wanted to fix it, and then. The, the November ballot issue just sort of highlighted, okay, we got to do this now. We got to, we got to fix this, this flaw in our constitution, our state constitution. Um, and you know, the, the only time to do it really was August. And so that's kind of why we've, we've ended up moving forward with this now. And, and um, you know, we can talk about what, what this actually does. Cause there's a lot of you know, misdirection, but there's a whole long history and stories about why this is important. Yeah. Don't jump the gun. We got to ask yeah, the questions exactly. before you give the answers now. Come on. So just, High level. What is issue one? Yeah. So, so really, issue one does does three things, and just three things. Um, and you're going to hear a lot of other stuff that it, people are saying it's going to do, um, which is actually not true. Go figure. They, the, the media would lie about this. Um, the the first things it, thing it does, and, and most significantly, is it elevates the threshold to amend the constitution to sixty percent. Um, right now, to change the constitution for a citizen initiated peti- uh, petition. Um, you need 50% plus one, right? Uh, and actually, Ohio is one of only 10 states that allows our state constitution to be amended um, through citizen-initiated petition with 50% plus one of the vote. Um, so this would say, no, you need to get 60% of the vote to amend the constitution, right? Um, now, again, I, one other caveat here, that's just about changing the constitution, right? This doesn't touch initiated uh, petition, right? So. This is a great example. We just talked about this in, in the first segment. You know, there are two groups submitted signatures to, today, um, the abortion groups and for changing the Constitution and the marijuana folks for changing uh, state law through initiated uh, statute. Um, they Initiated statute isn't touched by issue one. So you could still change state law with 50 percent of the vote. This is saying if you're changing our founding document, uh, our most important foundational document, uh, the the state constitution, you need to get to 60 percent. So point one elevates the threshold to amend the constitution to 60 percent. Point two, uh, and this is one of these things that uh, I think a lot of folks are uh, understating, but this is huge. 
um, is it requires that if you're collecting signatures to put something uh, to, to amend the Constitution, to put something on the ballot to amend the Constitution, you need to get signatures from all 88 counties, right? You can't just go to the 44 counties that are most amenable to your topic, right? This is this is saying every county, every Ohioan counts, right? That you need to have support from all 88 counties in order to get these signatures. And again, it raises that to all 88 instead of just 44. Uh, and lastly, it eliminates what's called the cure period, um, which is basically the bailout period for a, a, yeah. a, a signature collecting effort, which is, um, you know, you submit your signatures, um, and they find out, wow, half of these signatures are fraud or are junk or they're they're not legitimate. Uh, this should not go on the ballot. Well, there's a, a cure period of several weeks where you can go back out and try to get enough signatures to get over the line. Uh, and this is saying, no, listen, you, you have months and months and months to go after collecting signatures. Um, if uh, if you don't get it, you don't get it, right? And you got to try again next time. And so that's that's really what this three things elevates the threshold to sixty percent, requires all eighty eight or signatures from all eighty eight counties, uh, and eliminates the the bailout period. And let's talk a little bit about why this is so significant, because it is the Constitution. You make the distinction between the abortion ballot issue and the marijuana issue. One's trying to amend the Constitution. One's passing a law. Well, when you change something in the constitution it becomes something that all other laws are then interpreted by right and that's yeah. why it makes it a bigger deal and why it makes sense that it would have a higher threshold to then amend yeah that's one of the things that um you know the uh deny to sign groups that have been all across the state they've been hearing signature gatherers say things like well you know in the state of ohio you already have strong pro-life laws you know it's it's ridiculous uh, but when you put something in the Constitution, it it, it just takes over, right? It, it kind of supersedes all the other laws. So it just kind of goes away. But that was one of the, the, the lies of the other side that they were trying to say is, you know, the other thing, though, is, you know, when you look at the national, right, our federal Constitution, um, what is it, 7,000 words, whatever. And now the state Constitution is 67,000 words, roughly, um, you know, been amended over a hundred times. Um, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and so when you hear us say like we need to protect our constitution, um, all the videos that have been put out, I just showed one um, in Northern Ohio at a church where Rep Click, who's a pastor, um, basically was out there and he had a guy from Michigan getting paid almost $25 an hour. He said he was paid for, uh, it was paid for by Planned Parenthood. Um, so they're bringing all these out-of-state folks in, spending all this money, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, you know, signature gathers. And that's what we mean by our state uh, constitution shouldn't be up for sale. Yeah. And, and just to, to the other aspect of that is when you put something into the constitution, the only way you can change it is by going back to the voters. Right. This is this is why amending constitutions as a matter of public policy as like sort of a day-to-day -day policy is a bad idea. And we've actually had this before where a constitutional amendment was written, the, the casino ones, right? It was written so poorly that they actually, there was a mistake in it. They actually had to go back to the voters to change it as opposed to doing an initiated statute or going through the general assembly to pass a law is that you can pass a law through there. And then that allows for the general assembly to go back and say, oh, hey, this isn't working out like we thought it would. So we can we can tweak this, we can change this, right? Um, you know, why don't we put speed limits in 
uh, state constitutions. Well, if we did, then we would only be driving 45 miles an hour down Route 71 instead of 90 like David, even though that's still not. <laughs> but, th- but that's the, you know, th- th- this just is. coming from a man who cannot tell the difference between cut. red and green. <laughs> I'll just. <laughs> and the stoplights. It's not okay to make some fun of somebody's disability. I didn't realize that that was, uh, that'd become all right. But At what point do you not share personal details around the office? Exactly, How right? do you not know? I've only been here a few months and I know. Yeah. I was sitting in my office, this man was getting coffee, and I was in tears when he said that. <laughs> no, he so, never drive okay, me anywhere. This is not even supposed to be what this episode is about. <laughs> but just for we're clear, we Troy McIntosh, who's our OSEN director, he had worked up a comp doc that compares what the Senate put in their budget with the final budget. And he sent it to me while I was on vacation. And he said, you know, what's in red? What was in the Senate budget? What was in green was in what they changed? What was in yellow? And it all looked the same to me. I could, I, I, I saw Troy as a Troy. I'm going to use mauve infusion. Exactly. Right. <laughs> anyway. So to get back on topic with what we're actually discussing today, you mentioned the sense of urgency around this, Aaron, and why we're going to the ballot in August to vote on issue one. What's going on in the state as if we haven't talked about it enough already, but just to make this a nice, concise kind of one podcast fits all solution. Why are we going in August? Right. The the baseline on this is why a special election um, is one. This is good policy. Right. We need this. Right. This is should have been done a long time ago. Um, But really, everyone saw this abortion initiative coming that's far broader than abortion. Right. It it obliterates parental rights. It allows kids to get uh, transgender surgeries without parental consent. Uh, It would lead to the loss of upwards of 30,000 lives every year. Uh, And the manipulations and lies that are going to get that are going to pour into our state uh, in November uh, if this thing makes the ballot is going to be massive. Right. And so it just set a fire ablaze to say, we need to go forward with this. Now, there are a lot of people who are supporting issue one, like the business community, like NFIB and the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, uh, a hotel association, restaurant association that don't care one thing about uh, abortion or parental rights. Right. Uh, they, they care about, um, wanting to have stable and limited government. Right. And the, the problem is, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I've highlighted to people is that other states that have had this vulnerability, the, the ACLU and the left has used uh, a c- constitutions like this, this low threshold to completely reform the state. Um, best example of this, uh, Arizona's constitution, same way as Ohio's is where it's only 50%. When, when I left Arizona uh, about seven years ago, they had pro-lifers in all statewide offices. They had pro-life supermajorities uh, in all in both the Arizona uh, House and Senate, very similar to where Ohio is. Two pro-life U.S. senators, um, actually Kirsten Cinema just won, um, but uh, a majority of pro-life congressional in the congressional delegation. Um, and then look at where Arizona is today. They've passed tax increases. Um, they've allowed uh, for uh, their redistricting to get completely overhauled because they have this thing called the uh, Independent Redistricting Commission, which was put in place about 20 years ago. But in time, it was used to, to overturn these things. They have merit selection of judges, which again has been in place for a few years, um, but that undermines the direct election of judges. This is all sort of leftist uh, strategies for undermining uh, the states. Uh, and it all goes into the state constitution, right? 
Uh, and this is this is what the the left wants to do with our state, and they will be able to do because they don't need to worry about working through the governor's office. They don't need to worry about working through the general assembly. They can bypass the the true Republican for small R Republican form of government that we have in our states, and pour enough money and manipulate enough voters to get their stuff into the constitution. And once it's in there, it's almost impossible to get it out. Well, now I've been told by reliable sources that this is just a power grab, right? That, that this is just something that's been cooked up by these heavily gerrymandered districts and all these representatives just want to preserve their power. And that's what this is all about. But this is, Sar- sarcasm ended. No, that's this good. Is- yeah, we, we, we told we told Mike we want Mike. You're gonna be the bad guy on this. So please, by the end of this, I can't believe you even said you will. Mike, you what? can feel about Mike the way we just generally feel about him on a day to day basis. Yes, exactly. Here. Now you know exactly. what the, the office experience is like for yeah, CCD people. Advocate. Yeah, exactly. Right. But sarcasm ended. That's an argument we're hearing. Right. But this is actually much more about preserving Ohioans' rights to have the kind of state that they want. I'll just say that the, the basic answer to that is how how is it undemocratic to let people vote on the issue, right? This, that, like, the, the one idea person, that is... One vote. Right? Like, one the idea that, like, we're somehow undermining democracy by creating an election for people to say how we amend our constitution. Like, this is the epitome of how the system is supposed to work. Again, it was political theater down at the state house. Everybody shouting one person, one vote, trying to make and it, it came out on the news like this, trying to make it seem like what the state legislature was doing that day was going to become law. Right. That that you're trying to just you're trying to supersede. Right. Everybody's the will of the people. But this bill is all about giving everybody the choice to say, all right, should we raise the threshold or not? Every person gets a vote. Matter of fact, if it does go through, every you know person in all 88 counties right, gets a vote. Yeah. And, and when we talk about safeguarding Ohio's constitution, we've seen the vulnerability before. And I think one great example of it, and, and you hinted at it, Aaron, is the gambling issue mm-hmm. and how it was a zombie issue on the Ohio ballot for a number of elections. It just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And Ohioans turned it down, I believe, four times. And then the gambling industry decided they just wanted to dump a whole lot of money in here. And they finally right. got it through. Right. And, and and that's exactly the point in that all they had to do was get over 50% one time. Right. We can beat them time and time again. All they have to do is get over 50% one time. And then it's locked in. And one, getting something taken out is a lot more difficult than getting something put in. And two, uh, you know, where's the money to actually pull it out, right? So this is where these wealthy corporate special interests um, have endless funds to create their own sweetheart deal in the state constitution. And then they make a ton of money off of it that they'll be able to pour into it to stop it from ever happening. If we if we tried to get the casinos out of the state constitution, they would. there's no amount of money. I, I just saw, you know, um, one of the, the Cleveland.com reporters loves to publish in the, the, the capital letter the, you know, the quarterly funds that these uh, casinos make. I think the last last quarter was like one hundred twenty two million dollars uh, and a quarter was the profit from the from the casinos in uh, in Ohio. Uh, and like so imagine if we actually tried to undo something like that, how much money they would spend to, to say, no, we need to protect casinos in the, the Constitution. Well, let's talk about the voter rights. You alluded to it a little bit. This is another spot where we hear the other side saying this is going to take away people's abilities to to have a say in their government and it's just going to get bogged down in the state house that doesn't want to hear their ideas or is unresponsive if they don't agree with it 
And in some ways, that's where as much as we don't want to see the marijuana statute pass in November, but at least having it on the ballot kind of gives us some counterbalance to say, no, right. this is something that can still happen. We don't agree with it, but right. at least it's still going before the people. It's a good answer, Mike. Yeah, no, exactly. Answer my own question. No, right. No, exactly. And again, to, just to your point, what you see is they'll say, oh, this is going to obliterate initiated statute or this is going to, you know, there's just a whole lot of lies that are out there. And the bottom line is, just look at what the amendment does. And if anything, just look at how the U.S. Constitution is amended, right? U.S. Constitution, you need three-fifths of Congress plus three-quarters of the states to ratify to change the U.S. Constitution, right? It's, there's a reason why it's much more difficult to amend the U.S. Constitution than U.S. law. Um, really, in Ohio, we don't have that distinction. And therefore, we've had a constitution just jam-packed uh, with a bunch of nonsense. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the place for just general statute. You know, when, when it goes to the state house, it could be years of debate and deliberation and um, the public being able to come in in droves and give their voice and opinion into things. And they have time to educate themselves on what's going on. Um, not so much um, with these with, uh, with, with if you just go kind of through the Constitution way. And I mean, that's the bedrock of who we are. Um, and that should not be uh, amended just willy nilly. Yeah. And that's I, I love how. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Houston has said it before of, you know, our, our he, we love our state constitution. It has great protections and beautiful language, and they're protecting free speech and religion and the specific land plots that our casinos are supposed to be located on. Right? That's, that's not how it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. you bring up a good point, David. When you think about the, the shape and structure of our f federal government, it can be frustrating at times that things move so slowly, but it's, it's also kind of the brilliance of it yeah. that, right. that the founding fathers realized that it shouldn't be easy to just have something breeze right through, that there's got to be widespread support and a lot of debate behind these things before they get enacted in a way that affects everybody. It's almost like our founders were were people that recognize that man is inherently fallen and one desperately wicked above all things where would they get that i know where, where could they get a, an idea like that an understanding of human nature it's in that way Jeremiah. and we should we should have checks and balances in place so that uh one person or a mob uh can't uh, undermine uh you know the the society and That's people right. and the, the population separation of powers Isaiah right. 33. Uh, not to Go back and rehash something that you've already covered, Aaron. But I think this is worthwhile because this is being, again, framed as only about the abortion ballot issue in November. And yet you're pointing out that there's support for this beyond pro-life organizations and groups. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other people out there who do support this issue and, and reasons that this is a good thing for Ohio beyond the life issue. Yeah, I mean... I Again, I, I, there was a, uh, and I think we've talked about this on the pod before, but um, you know, the, the ACLU had a uh, an editorial that I've just been sending out far and wide uh, to folks because they were very clear about how their hope is to put you know everything they want uh, into the state constitution, whether it's abortion and and you know transgender procedures for kids, um, or uh, you know they'll they'll use words like. Um, uh, protecting or, or or protecting elections or or securing election integrity or things like that is what they'll say. But really, what they mean by that is they want to. They don't say election integrity. What's the, I, I can't forget their buzz phrase. Election integrity is our buzz phrase. They have they have their own. Um, but 
you know, really what they want to do is, you know, repeal our laws requiring an ID to vote um, or put a drop box on every corner, right? Um, so if you care about free and fair elections, they want to go after this, the, the Second Amendment, right? So you, you really see the NRA and some of the, the, the pro-Second Amendment folks really uh, rising up saying, hey, we need this, right? They've proven that they want to come after parental rights right. over and over across exactly. the country. Uh, and so, you know, it, it doesn't, there's a part of this which is pick your poison, whatever. And this is, this is it's, it's one of these issues like free speech, right? Like, it doesn't matter who you are, you should care about free speech. It doesn't matter who you are, you should not want the state constitution to be able to be so easily amended because it, it really throws the state into chaos. You know, Secretary of State Frank LaRose will use this a lot to show the pro- how big of a problem this is, which is, you know, the U.S. Constitution, which has been around 250 years, uh, has about 7,000 words in it. The Ohio Constitution, which is about 170 years old, uh, has about almost 70,000 words in it uh, because it's been so easily uh, manipulated and amended. And um, yeah, it, it's just an issue that um, touches so much more than just abortion. But right now, that's the fire that's raging. No, with all that said, um, guys, I'm going to just be honest. The week of the election, August 7th, I will have, no, no, August 7th, the day before the election, I will have people calling me, blowing up my phone. Once it gets fixed, they will be blowing up my phone (laughs) saying, Dave, how should I vote? And, And guys, vote yes in August, right? August 8th, vote yes. I know we want to kind of go through and try to give everybody, you know, all the details, the nuts and bolts like we did in this podcast here. But, you know, you are influential and people come to you and they said, okay, you're in the know. What should I do? That's how I used to go to Barry. Barry, what's going on? What should I do? What do you need me to do? Right? Just give me the cliff notes. You know, that's all we need to be doing out there right now. We've got four to five weeks to just say vote yes in August. Yep. I'm going to play devil's advocate one last time here. Do it for for our pro-life friends. And I've I've seen this argument. They say hundred percent pro-life, but this seems like it's largely procedural. It's kind of a sleight of hand in an attempt to to get to, to use the life issue to pass um, the constitution issue. And what we need is not this constitutional amendment or constitutional protection. What we need is a personhood amendment or we need that kind of protection at the state or the federal level. So I'm going to vote no on this and hope for that. So just to, just in response, how how can we address that argument with somebody who who would align with us on a life issue? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different responses I would give to that. Um, the first and foremost is it again. This kind of gets back to what we were talking about earlier with the Biden student loan forgiveness, right? One of the things that makes America exceptional is process and procedure, mm-hmm. right? And safeguarding process and procedure um, is good even if sometimes it means we have to tolerate things we don't love, right? Um, and so on its face, the state and the nation is a better is better off with a constitution that's difficult to change, right? This is one of these things that generationally matters, it's a right? It's responsible move. It, it, it is, right? Um, and second to that, that personhood amendment argument or, or things like that, you know, this is where, again, even thinking about Barry, uh, we, we, we're, we live in this um, tension at CCV of um, idealism and saying, what can we, what, what do we want to do? And also, what can we get done? Right. And so, again, three years ago, when we said we want to do backpack bill, people said there's no way. But we actually saw, 
hey, well, there's a path to do this. Um, and we had a realistic plan to do it. With the personhood uh, conversation, we've pulled it. We've looked at it and we said, okay, what will we need to raise to pass that? And it's tens of millions of dollars that would need to be raised in order to pass it. Um, and so a lot of times I'll have folks, this is a question I get regularly, whether it's this or anything else that we're working on, they'll say, hey, what, well, let's just do a ballot issue. Let's go collect signatures. And I'm like, great, show me the $20 million uh, that we need to raise to do that um, and uh, show me the path to do it. And the reality is they can't, right? So because it that that's the, the, the baseline of what it takes to pass something like that in Ohio today. Um, and we're not being good stewards and we're not being wise as serpent and innocent as doves by by running out and just dying on principle again and again and again and we're definitely not saving kids right because that's that's the question that that we're we're faced here with is um you know are we want to try to save as many kids from being murdered as possible um and if we're going to do something like go after personhood we better darn sure have a, a path that shows it's winnable. Yeah, ask your denomination head, you know, if they're willing to put $10,000, right? you know, for that initiative. And and you'll kind of understand what we're getting at here. It's very, very difficult uh, to get the body to move. And if the body doesn't move in that area, it doesn't happen. Exactly. And, and so, and it's not just, well, is that me saying Ohio's not a pro-life state? Not at all. That's me being honest about the media being honest about the unbelievable deep pockets of the left, right? right? Again, think about the $20 an hour they were paying these signature collectors from out of state uh, to do this. Think about how much money they would spend on that. And if we're going to you know, pick that hill to go fight on, we darn sure better have the army to do it uh, and the resources needed to do it. Um, and, and honestly, by the way, why would we go do that when we have a general assembly that is willing to to vote for the heartbeat bill and willing to vote on these things. And so, um, again, I, I I I love the enthusiasm and I love the idea behind it. Um, but we have to be responsible and and honest about where we are and what we have uh, to wage these battles. Um, and so, not only is sixty percent good policy, but also there's a practical reality of what is it going to take to win that. And we can't overstate it enough. There is a very direct tie between a yes vote on August 8th and protecting life in the state of Ohio. That's 100%. And that's why, again, we have all the resources at ccb.org slash pledge for you and your church to to have an impact on this. You know, uh, PowerPoint slides. For church uh, announcements. Yep. You know, everything you need like that. Social media graphics that you can share. We got video. Yeah, flyers. coming. We got a video coming soon. Um, this podcast, you know, we we, may, we wanted to do this so people can send it around to say, hey, here's here's the arguments for this. And if you want to volunteer, if you want to get involved, reach out to us. Um, that's where we we need. We know the you know today when they submitted those seven hundred thousand signatures for the abortion issue, they were already talking about the millions they're going to be putting into fight issue one to try to stop this. The abortion industry is putting. Every, they know they need they need to yeah, be. That, that's a point that I've been bringing up. You know we're crisscrossing the state right now, all of us. Um, you know going to churches and different groups. So I had a group of pastors and, and and then basically I was telling them what media outlet, what major media outlet is going to give this perspective. Right, you're going to have seventy million dollars being poured into campaign. And nobody is going to be talking about what we just told you, right? It's going to be spin, spin, spin. And so this is a message that's going to have to be uh, delivered from house to house, from church to church, from believer to believer. Also, before um, they tell me to shut up, 
July 11th uh, is the beginning of early voting. You all can get a group of people together at your church after church on Wednesdays or Sundays or whatever, uh, whenever your um, um, your polling station or board of election is open. All of you all, as long as you're in the same county, can go down together and vote. Get yeah. it done after July 11th. Just get it done as long as everybody's from the same county and uh, to go to your board of elections and get it done. Yep. Don't wait on it. If you have any questions, you can give David a call. It might go to voicemail, but he promises he will <laughs> you give you a call David back. A smoke signal <laughs> and his broken phone. <laughs> and uh, they, we, David can't even call his kids today. That was the... Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Uh, well, great, great stuff today, gentlemen. Hopefully this is a beneficial conversation for our, all of our listeners out there. And as always, it's great to be with you on The Narrative, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.